Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. You're listening to Theater in College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me is Taylor Dammel. We're brought to you by Dash Radio and the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. I actually heard Tyrese Rice, former point guard, diminutive one from Boston <laughs> College, had one of the greatest first halves I've ever seen against North Carolina. They were leading against North Carolina, and then they, they subsequently got their ass whooped. But Tyrese Rice subscribes, so you should as well. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the-barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is and Taylor at Taylor Dammel. We're sponsored by Blue Note, artfully crafted small batch bourbon distilled in Memphis and honoring the Memphis Blues. Be noteworthy, Memphis. So the NBA is back. World Series is on. Football, both college and, and NFL, in full swing. And you know, ho- hockey's back too. That's fine. <laughs> like I got no. Hey, I, that, I, hey, hold on, no, I'm going to stop you there. The Colorado Avalanche are the best team in the NHL right now, which is my which is my team. So I I, I have to actually, for once, stop you on hockey. But yes, continue on. Well, hold on. Are they better than the Sabers? Aren't the Sabers the the best team? Or am I wrong about that too? I don't know. A couple of days ago, the Avalanche were the best team. I don't. I don't. And that's talking Sir, hockey. They're up there. They're up there at least. So. Well, point being, all the major sports back in the swing of things, and all we're waiting on, baby, is our beloved, our our our, our wife, basically college married, basketball. Married to the game. All we're waiting for is our beloved college hoops. That I think will be in. Next 12, 13 days, I believe, is is tip. And so we got a big show today and, and basically the rest of the season. Over the next few weeks, leading up to tip, we will be providing previews and our picks for the major conferences. Today we're starting with the ACC. Uh, but before we do that, Taylor, a few quick notes that I don't know if you saw on Twitter just yet, but a lot of late-breaking news, which essentially is hinting at the the, the season's right around the corner. Uh, first and foremost, Josh Lankford, Michigan State, out until January. Mm. Initial reaction, what the fuck? 
So the timing's a little strange, I think. And this is let me put my tin my tin hat on here. Um, do you think they waited a day to announce this so they could be the number one team in the AP Top Twenty Five poll? Because that came out yesterday. When Michigan State is number one, yeah. I, am I looking? Am I thinking overthinking this, or do you think do you think Izzo cares? Or uh, I think there's a little bit to it. I mean, would they have been – well, there's also an argument that would they have been voted number one anyway without them. They got 60 of the 65 first-place votes. So, I think that's a huge loss for them, though. It is. Oh, yeah, it is. It is. And he missed how many games last year? Uh, what, Essentially. The second, the, the second yeah, basically half of the, the season. Exactly. Right. So it, it kind of sucked in a way because we know the, how good he is. But now we're going to essentially have gone an entire season without seeing him, and you just hope that – not that any of his uh, injuries are major, major, but you just hope that they don't all kind of come together to make him not a shell of himself, but even just 90 or 85% of himself because that team is stacked. And I, I've always – I mean, I like Michigan State. I know you like Isdo and Michigan State, so I have no ill will against them. So, and I don't like to see anybody get injured. So, um, yeah, it's a huge loss, though. At least it's the first half of the season. You can live with that a little more as long as he comes back healthy, whereas last year it was like, well, now you're missing the tournament, all that type of stuff. It's just not – there's there's only so far you can go without your best players in the tournament. Well, I've said a couple times now that Michigan State entering the season is the clear-cut number one team of the country. I think they are the best team of the country. They should – they deserve to be number one, but that was with Josh Langford. And the Josh mm-hmm. Langford news was actually part of, of why I, I crowned them, anointed them preseason champs, essentially. I think this is a huge blow. I don't think that it's going to completely derail their season because they still have enough talent to get over no. the hump, right? Yeah. And, and, and Izzo's a legend, fine. But at the same time, this is significant news. I will say to your point about the timing of the injury, I think it's beneficial for them because as we've seen with the selection committee and a lot of other uh, past postseason performances with college basketball teams, getting hot towards the end of the year is really all that matters. So if you could start to turn it on February, which is when college basketball teams really want to put their best foot forward, start playing quote unquote elimination games, is probably early February, maybe a little earlier than that, late January. If you can get Josh Langford back during that time, and you don't want to necessarily just – Michigan State doesn't want to just stay afloat because, again, they should still be uh, a top-tier team. But if they can get to early January without Langford and only have maybe two losses on their schedule, I think they're good to go. Yeah, and um, I think that um, – did uh, did we see is uh, Hauser allowed to play for them? Haven't gotten any news on Hauser okay. that, I, that I, I know of yet. Because that could be a difference as well uh, on how uh, whatever their season goes forward here. But do you think it's just kind of funny? Izzo, it's like Izzo's teams, they can't work from the top in the beginning of the season. They needed a little bit of like – oh, let's lose a game or two early and let's get an injury. And then all of a sudden you look up and, yeah, Michigan State's 18-2. and That's what happens every year. You know, like let's say they lose because they don't have uh, Langford. Completely uh, understandable situation. Ah, well, you know, they fall to eight or nine in the country or whatever. And then 
Oh, maybe they'll lose another game kind of in the out of conference early in the in the uh, conference play, maybe even. And then, yeah, all of a sudden you look up, it's February, and you're like, oh, Michigan State's in line for a one or two seed, just like every year. Now, this year, compared to other years, they have probably, I don't know, I don't know, I want to say necessarily the consensus, but do they have the consensus player of the year leading that team pretty much, which is pretty helpful when you are in college basketball, that your lead guard, it, Cassius Winston, is probably the, if he's not the consensus, he's at least the odds on favorite for the player of the year. Yep. So um, they have some of the best names in college basketball too, when you go with like Rocket Watts. What else do you, who else do you want on your team other than a guy named Rocket? But no, it kind of sucks that Langford's going to be out, which means that in classic college basketball fashion, we're not going to see the greatness of this team until the second half of the season. But I think that's just kind of what comes with being a college basketball fan. You see in college basketball, probably more than any other sport, including college football, you see a team grow and, and um, progress more from the beginning of the end of the season. And um, with Michigan State and Langford being out, it's going to be a little more exaggerated than we probably would have predicted. But I still don't think it's going to affect Michigan's end game uh, on the season at all. No, I don't think so either. But it's especially true if you're a Michigan State fan. You had alluded to this, but they they schedule so hard within the first two weeks. They probably will get their ass whooped uh, by. I think they're who, who's number two. Uh, I, I know they're playing. Kentucky. They're playing Kentucky this year, right? To kick off the season, and, and then it's Kansas State Champions Classic, right? Right. Yeah. So, so I mean, every single year they though, get their ass kicked every, every year. year in the Champions Classic. <laughs> every year. Every, and I swear to God, Izzo does it on purpose. He's like, no, I don't even want to win I'm this saying. Like, he pulls a Chuck, <laughs> he pulls a Chuck Daly, uh, like the 92 Olympic team, when he just purposely wants them to lose so that they can, they're not so high and mighty. They're not that great. And Izzo's teams are always typically, I don't know, from the three to six range in terms of preseason rankings. I can't remember the last time Michigan State was ranked number one overall with a pretty uh, consensus agreement that they are the number one team so i actually wouldn't be surprised if they got their ass whooped by kentucky uh, to start to start the season because that typically always happens with michigan state and they they play this incredibly difficult schedule but it really does work out for them in the end i mean strength of schedule but also uh and obviously that that helps with with their seating but it also helps with the players on the court having been there right you see some of these other teams i remember wichita state when they went up against Kentucky, uh, I think that was an eight versus one seed. That was pretty much Wichita State's only difficult game all fucking year, and they lost. Right. So here's an interesting little tidbit for you. This is the first time Michigan State has ever been number one in the preseason AP poll. That is, that's, I figured they would have gotten at least, I don't know, one or two the past couple of years. But well, here's what's interesting though. Do you know that Michigan State has only been ranked number one? for 12 total weeks ever in the AP poll. I told you, man, they always seem to just be hovering around three to six seeds. I feel like, like I feel like Arizona say. has been ranked number one for like 30 weeks in this decade alone. And we have, we don't have to show for it. Michigan state has been ranked number one, 12 weeks ever. And they have just final fourth and national championships and player of the year and everything. So well, yeah, Izzo, I mean, Izzo, man, Izzo, he knows what he's doing. They have final fours. I, I would contend that being a Michigan State fan isn't that that easy either. I mean, they have that one title 
uh, with Mateen Cleaves. I mean, you could go back to sure, Irvin sure, Johnson sure. too, Magic, whatever. But recently, for the amount of winning that they've actually been doing in that conference, it's kind of surprising that they've come up short. And I would even say last year too. So, uh, but, but huge, point. huge news out of East Lansing, and it just sucks because Josh Langford, as we have discussed, has had these uh, these these issues before. So, speedy recovery to Josh Langford. Let's move over quickly to the AAC. Last episode, we talked to the Barn guys, the Memphis guys, and we were talking about uh, how Memphis is going to be doing. And we were talking about some of their players, Wiseman, Boogie Ellis, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, talked about Penny. Biggest news out of the AAC potentially, though, this offseason is that Quentin Grimes earlier today eligible to play for Houston. That's monstrous. And Rothstein tweeted this, and I tend to agree with him. I don't know if I'd say this to the Memphis guys' faces, but I will say it here (laughs) now that they're not here. Uh, I think Houston becomes the favorite in the AAC with Quentin Grimes, former Kentucky transfer. He played for, or excuse me, Kansas transfer, played for Kansas last year and, uh, applied for that immediate eligibility and he got it. So this is a huge development for the Houston Cougars and Kelvin Sampson. You think they're the favorite to win that conference now, huh? You think that highly of Clinton It was Ryan. between them. It was well, between them and Memphis, right? Uh, I, no, I know. I'm with you. I'm just – I'm not sure I'm going to go that far. I think that is going to be competitive now, but I think Memphis is still – I don't want to say the odds on, but I was, if you remember the last podcast there, I'm very high on Memphis. So uh, I don't think anyone's going to overtake them. And I'm not very high on Quentin Grimes. I mean, I am as uh, for Houston. I wasn't very high on him as like, say a Kansas player. Um, but yeah, that gives the AAC a real legitimate second, really, really good team though. Um, and like I said, I'm not a huge Quentin Grimes fan. But I am a big fan of this transfer and what it means for Houston. I just don't think it's going to be uh, enough to overtake Memphis at the top. Not that this means anything for our discussion, but um, in terms of um, – because obviously the, the voters didn't know. Well, actually, they probably don't know much about Memphis because they're all freshmen too. But Memphis came in at 14 in the AP poll, and Houston came in equivalent to uh, uh, 35. So – I'm not convinced that Quentin Grimes is going to be enough of a difference to make up, say, the 20-team difference between the two. Not that the preseason poll means shit, but just for argument's sake. But those games are going to be awesome now, though. I mean, who would have thought going into last year, or even, we'll say, two years ago, that like a Houston-Memphis game should be the primetime ESPN like game of the day, game of the week, because they will be that uh, if, if everything kind of comes to fruition here. Well, it's got to be your quintessential experience versus inexperienced guys, right? All of Memphis, just I think we discussed it last episode, they only have one senior and he's at the end of the bench. Mm-hmm. The majority of the damage from Memphis is going to come from their incoming freshmen, whereas you got guys from Houston who have been to the tournament the past two years, who have been the dominant force in the AAC. You got guys like Giroux who transferred over from Memphis a couple years, or excuse me, UMass a couple years back, and now Quentin Grimes. And obviously, Kelvin Sampson, Sampson has had a, quite a track record in college hoops, some of it a little bit messy, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> every, every, which college basketball co- coach doesn't have a slightly messy yeah. past at this yeah. point? Yeah, it's very true. But, I mean, it's going to be the epitome of experience versus inexperience, and that's going to be a lot of fun to see how Memphis handles that because typically I will 
tip my cap, unless you're like a Duke or a Kentucky, I'll tip my cap to the elder statesmen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even Duke and Kentucky have Hall of Fame coaches, right? right. So I'm not saying Penny's uh, some washed up scrub, but he's certainly not on the level of Calipari or Coach K. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Maybe I did go a little too far, but I, I, I think right now I'm going to lean towards Houston winning that conference strictly based off experience. And I do think point guard play in college hoops is monstrous. Getting someone who started for Kansas last year, is a, it's a big win in Houston. Hey, your boy Ross team thinks that the Cougars are the team to beat in the conference, and that makes them a top 15 to 20 team. Now, I will say this. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think they're – I think they're going to win the AAC because of Rustin's tweet. I have zero original thought of my own. I saw no, that fine. tweet and I was like, oh yeah. Okay. So just another classic example of what does the NCAA consider like a legitimate reason to transfer? It's, it's such a crapshoot and that's not supposed to be hating on, on Quentin Grimes at all. You know, like good for him. That's just awesome that he, he can do that. It's just a classic, like, they must just all sit in a room and flip a coin and go, ah, yeah, yeah, he's eligible, fine. So and this is, but it is also kind of like the new, this is a perfect um, kind of representation of the new college basketball, right? Quentin Grimes originally put his name into the NBA draft, pulled out before the draft, and then decided to transfer and now got a waiver to play. I'm not saying I'm not in support of being able to do that. It is just different. It's a classic example of what's different about 2019, 2020 college basketball, where all those things that we just said probably wouldn't have been able to happen. Well, one of them for sure, pulling out of the draft situation wouldn't have been able to happen last this last year. And the transfer portal, all this type of stuff now is so different that, yeah, look at this guy. He started for Kansas last year, 19. Decided he wasn't good enough for the draft. He's now going to be starting for another school the coming year. I think that's cool. I think, I mean, I think it's fine. And I guess maybe case by case basis, whether I would agree with that from, you know, all the way down the line, but uh, certainly going to make for a lot more of exciting times in the AAC. And uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. We'll have to get some rebuttal from the, from the Memphis guys to see if they are pumped about this or not. And I'm guessing that they're not pumped about it. Yeah. I can't imagine that they are, but they probably are pumped that Wiseman is on preseason All-America team. Yeah, right. That's pretty yeah. fucking incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll so, want to, to see what Slim thinks about that. There's not eye on him, but yeah, you know, honestly, I, the way I'm looking at it, I could see this becoming this year's uh, shark prediction of last year. So, if you didn't listen to last episode, we had Barnburner Slim on, a big Memphis guy, and he said. He wasn't hundred percent sold just yet on James Wiseman. I'm not going to tell. I'm not going to say that he was hating on James Wiseman or saying that he was going to be a bust or anything like that. He was just a little apprehensive, cautiously, cautiously apprehensive, which is okay. And so the way the, what I'm comparing it to is the shark last year, basically saying that hey, I'm not sold on Zion. And he said that after like multiple weeks of Zion doing incredible yeah. shit. Yeah, this like, was like several weeks into the season. I yeah. wasn't I wasn't a hundred percent sold on Zion prior to the first tip. And then I saw what he did in Madison Square Garden. I was like, okay, yeah. now I'm sold. Yeah. Like I'm a hundred percent sold on this guy. So uh, I don't know if Slim's gonna double down. He might be a little be a little bit more rational than the shark, but that should be uh <laughs> it should be a little you know, 
that, that'll be interesting to see how Sark how that was plays just out. a year early. Sark was just a year early on the Zion yeah, prediction. That's true. That's what he's gonna that's what he's gonna now say. But he had a sense it just the timing was off. Yeah, right. The the transfer rule is so ridiculous, man. Because of how arbitrary it really does seem, at least. Maybe, maybe I don't know much about it, but it seems that way because we get these stories, it seems maybe every once a quarter about some poor kid who's not even going from a Kansas to a Houston not even going from a big time school. He literally just wants to be close to an ailing grandmother or a sick relative and play right. like D three D no, like D two uh, low level D one football basketball. And they're like, Nope, can't do it. And so Quentin so Grimes here. can't stupid. And again, in- yeah. Integrity of the student athlete, whatever the fuck that means. And again, that's not me hating on Grimes. Good for him. No, no, I agree. I agree. Just, hey, it, it ain't tricking if you got it. You know what yeah. I'm saying? <laughs> no, I mean, it just, it does seem very, very arbitrary. You know what it seems like? It's like that scene in South Park. It was like a 2008, 2009 episode. They were spoofing the economic crisis. Uh, and basically they, I don't know, Stan goes to, he's trying to return this Margaritaville maker. And he goes to, I don't know, these, these people that determine the best and most prudent financial way of getting out of it. And it's like a government bailout or like, I don't know, these other options. The way they choose it is they literally cut a fucking chicken's head off and let it walk around on uh, on some board and whatever it lands on. And determine. That's how they determine it. Can I tell you something without you getting mad? Not a South Park guy? I've never watched a single episode of South Park. That's okay. <laughs> I, I figured that. You're, you're, the, not, a TV, the analogy, you're not a TV or movie guy. The analogy works, though. Well, it kind of just depends on the TV. A, well, sports, Re- yeah. But B, B, reality a, ba- TV you are. Bachelorette. Bachelor, <laughs> yeah. we're in. Some Law & Order SVU, perhaps. A little Mariska Hargitay. What up, though? So, yeah, that's uh, – I was not a South Park. Not, not an animated guy in general. Maybe that's my problem. I went well, – I, I, ca- I, like, maxed out on Mulan growing up and just ended my animated uh, flicks pretty much right there. So – Mulan and the Proud Family. What more did you need? Really? Those are both all-time cartoons. The goats. Those are the goats. Right Mulan's there. a great film. That's Asian <laughs> empowerment right there. Is uh-huh. Mulan. Yeah, no doubt. That's it. Let's see. What do you think LeBron James thinks about Mulan? Uh, <laughs> that, that's a, someone should ask him that. That's the hard-hitting questions we need to know about right there. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pen that for my next. Uh, you should tweet next that time, next time I run responds. into LeBron. Yeah, right. yeah. What did you think about uh, what did you think about Mulan and all the, all that went down? Right. Hey, well, you know, Subi, to reference Mulan, let's get down to business. I like that's clever. That's good. So yeah, those are the two big items that came out today. Josh Langford out till January. Quentin Grimes eligible to play. Another thing uh, before we get to ACC, though, Taylor, still getting down to business. Preseason top 25 came out. Yes. Thoughts, initial reactions. Um, I think I had my only initial reactions were that um, I thought Seton Hall was pretty high, but you're pretty high on Seton Hall. So I think that you would probably have agreed with where they they come in. Um, I was pretty interested to see Utah State up that high as well. Um, Utah State. I'm actually a Utah State fan for a number of reasons. As a college football and college basketball better, they are great for covers over the last decade in both sports. So I've always known a little bit more than I would say the average about Utah State. Still surprising to have them come in that high. Um, 
Virginia was pretty low. Uh, they're like the lowest ranked. No, it's the first time that both uh, national championship participants, Virginia Tech or Virginia and Texas Tech, are outside of the top ten since. So I, I I don't know in a long time, but I saw that tweet, and former guest of the program Barstool Riggs said that's not true. Mm. He said Florida versus Ohio State actually that that occurred so after the year after they played neither of those teams were at the top 10 now i didn't i was way too lazy to go and actually fact check that but regardless it it, it is it's very seldom that the two teams that right. represented the title game are outside the top 10 right yeah and you know as we'll get to um i'm not super high on virginia this year as a whole so i continue I, I understand why they're there. And, you know, if you think Texas Tech, well, Texas Tech did go into the tournament last year as a three seed. And that's pretty much where they pan out in these rankings as well, is that is in, is around that three or four line. So um, when it comes to the Pac-12, Oregon is up there. Um, and Oregon is always a tough team to predict because they always have so many transfers. Altman is a good coach, but they always have a lot of transfers. We'll see how that pans out. And then uh, the other one that I thought was a little interesting was St. Mary's coming in at 20 with Gonzaga coming in at 8. Uh, clearly, the, the voters predict a strong year for the West Coast Conference. And uh, there's really, unless, when those two teams get upset, which they will at some point in conference, is pretty much the only two times you'll hear about us probably talking about the West Coast, Coast Conference. Well, it's so funny. the way like, You're right when you say that they they predict a strong season for the West Coast Conference, but it literally goes as Gonzaga and St. Mary's go. Like right. it's a super strong season out of the West Coast if St. Mary's is ranked. Well, if just they're not being ranked like, okay, twenty. Exactly. Right. No, I, I I completely agree with you. I just think it's funny that the difference between oh, it just being Gonzaga and it labeled as a strong season for the West Coast Conference is fully dependent on St. Mary's being ranked and being good. Well, you can actually say that if you take it up an, uh, to an upper echelon version of that, for a number of years, you could really say that about the SEC from a power conference standpoint. It's Kentucky top five and, oh, someone else from the SEC is ranked. This year, there's multiple SEC teams ranked with LSU, Auburn, and uh, there's someone else. on uh, Florida, Florida's number six. So you have a strong year this year, but for a number of years in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, you'd be able to say, oh, say, okay, so Kentucky's ranked and nobody else. Now, obviously, was it, I think the SEC only got uh, two teams in a couple of years ago. The Pac-12 has had that happen to them where they only got one team in, which is just ridiculous. And so uh, I'm not a supporter of the West Coast Conference at all because Gonzaga is like literally probably my least favorite college basketball team. But um but at least it will be – it appear to be at least competitive where Gonzaga won't just run away with the conference. We'll see how that plays out. 100%. I think my favorite is that the top four teams are going to be in action in one weekend. And not just those teams in action against inferior opponents. They're going to be playing each other. And we discussed that at the top of this program already with Michigan State going up against Kentucky and then Kansas versus Duke. And – I. I don't know if necessarily the the phrasing I want to use is that college basketball is the best at doing this, but every single opening weekend is a top five matchup and maybe a couple top five matchups. And they have these preseason tournaments or these NIT tournaments, I should say that actually count towards your record. 
but it's big time games in big time venues. And they do it at the very least as good as any other sport, sports opening weekend, right? College football, college football in our parents' day and age, and even leading up into the 90s when we were first, you know, in our youth, did a really good job of that. Now I think that now you have like the soft grand opening, the soft opening with like the week zero stuff, which is always kind of goofy as hell. And then now you have so many like type of buy games and stuff that just this last weekend or two is finally where we start to see some top five matchups. Sometimes they maybe work one or two in there, like a Jerry World or whatever, but they don't. It seems like everybody eases into the season a little more now. College basketball, it's like, hey, what up? We're it's in here. Literally, Let's like your your first game is, like I said, your first game is against someone you could potentially be playing in the Final Four. Right. So interesting note on that, and this is uh, uh, since we're talking about the ACC today. Duke is the only ACC team not playing a conference opponent with their first game of the year because the ACC network is new this year. And so they are starting the year off where 14 of the 15 conference opponents or conference teams, not Duke because they're in the Champions Classics, Classic, will be playing each other the opening game of the college basketball season. So that's pretty interesting to me that they're, the ACC is starting off with conference games first game of the year that's pretty interesting it is i was actually doing a bit of research on another acc team and i saw that they were playing miami and so i was like wait that's their first game is is against miami i was i was pretty shocked right uh you know it it, i'm i'm excited that the rankings are out first two games are going to be absolutely incredible must must watch television uh with the exception of dickie v probably (laughs) calling one of those games but outside Uh, of that how does he see? How does he keep getting extensions? I don't get it. I mean, the guy's a lifer, dude. He's not going anywhere. No, but nobody. I, that's what I don't understand. It's like, no, Mike. But some people say, "Oh, well, he's old, so the old people like him." My grandma, who is a legitimate huge college basketball fan, eighty-one years old, coming up here soon, hates the dude. So there's no like young people, old people. Nobody likes Dickie V. I just don't understand why they think ESPNs are like, "Hey, you know what we need to do." Let's get this geriatric fuck back out there for another five years and just listen to him yell about nothing. Have your grandma write a strongly worded letter to the executives, or maybe it'll get all the way up to John Skipper. She's really good at picking out cards, so maybe I'll have her go pick out a card from the store and send it in as well. I might have a little more of influence that way. Kill him with kindness. I like that. A card. (laughs) All right, let's get down to the ACC predictions that you and I both have. What we're going to be doing is taking a look at the player of the year, who we think the player of the year will be, coach of the year, and then we're going to make our predictions for regular season champions. So, Taylor, I'll kick it off with you. Tell us who your ACC player – again, this is at the end of the season. Who is going to be the player of the year? So I had um, a debate, and I think you probably had the same debate between the between three players in the ACC as the player of the year, and that's uh, Jordan Wara, Trey Jones, and Cole Anthony. Cole Anthony is freshman from UNC. Uh, Trey Jones is a sophomore point guard for Duke, and Jordan Wara is the um, reigning most improved player of the year in the conference for Louisville, and. In coming to the determination of why I picked Jordan Dewara is that he is uh, probably, I don't know if he's going to average a double-double. Last year, he averaged 17 and 8 after, after averaging like 5 and 4 his freshman year. Um, but I think that experience does play a role in, when it comes to the conference player of the year versus like the top draft pick 
obviously, because Jordan Noir is a projected second-round draft pick or late first. Um, Trey Jones can't shoot the ball at all. 26% uh, from three last year. Uh, I have written here that he attempted four or more threes in 10 games last year, and in only one game did he make more than two three-pointers. And that was, in the tur- that was in the tournament against Virginia Tech where they needed all of yeah. those five three-pointers he made. So that's a ridiculous stat. I mean, so, took- side note, side note, imagine being a Virginia Tech fan who like looks at all the box scores and knows the percentages and you're like, what the fuck, Trey Jones? Right. Like, was, you're going to hit was, these now? It was Sam Decker against Arizona for us personally yeah. a couple of years where he hit more threes in one game than he did like the entire like season. But so – it, this award, I think, essentially comes down to is Trey Jones going to be the man or not? And also, that's, I think, kind of the par- partially determines the conferences. Is Trey Jones going to be the man or not? I don't think he's going to be the man. I think he's going to be a guy. The guy. Not the man, though, if that makes sense. So that's why I went with Jordan Wara. I think uh, uh, J. Cole Anthony is the best, most talented player in the conference, but that doesn't mean that he's going to be the conference player of the year. And so let me lead that in saying I picked Jordan Nawara because I think they're going to pick the best player from the best team, and I think the best team is going to be Louisville. And it's interesting in the ACC this year because the ACC is, I don't want to say it's underhyped or not underhyped. It's certainly less hyped than it was last year. Last year you had, you know, with Zion coming in, the eight, last year's ACC uh, season was being hyped from the previous year. Even Like when Zion was in high school, we were hearing about last year's ACC team schedule. And I, it's not going to be as hyped. I don't think the conference as a whole is as good this year. I think they only get six teams into the tournament as a whole, maybe seven. I think six is probably the number, though. Um, and so my conference player of the year is Noir because I think Louisville is going to win the conference. I think that Trey Jones is – I think he's going to be really good. Don't get me wrong. I think he might even be like an all-conference type of player. But he's going to have to vastly improve his offensive game from a, from a shooting or scoring perspective because he can't – his players around him this year are not – he doesn't have three lottery picks he's playing next to. He has three first-round draft picks he's playing next to. But yep. he doesn't have an all-generational Zion Williamson playing next to him. He doesn't have R.J. Barrett playing next to him. He's got Vernon Carey and, and, and Cassius Stanley and really good, really good players. Top 10 team in the country, most likely, uh, as, the team, as, the, as the year rolls on. I'm not on high, as high on them as the AP poll is. Duke, that is. But um, so I'm going with Louisville. They have a, a good mixture of experience and uh, recruits. They have the... Uh, third-ranked recruiting class in the ACC where it was very – wasn't top-heavy like uh, Duke's generally is, but there was more like a bunch of four-star quality guys and then another five-star guy as well. Their five-star recruit is uh, Samuel Williamson, a small forward from Texas, and so he obviously will be a big factor. But I just like Louisville. Uh, I think Chris Mack is going to be not the coach of the year, but probably the second in coach of the year. And so my coach of the year pick is Leonard Hamilton from Florida State. Forever young Leonard Hamilton. Yay, let's go. Because I think Florida State's going to be the surprise team, not only just in this conference, but maybe in the country. Let me Florida ask you this. How do they always do that? 
That was, that's Every exa- single fucking that's year, exactly they're the surprise team. Well, Florida State last year, and let me bring this up so I don't quote this wrong. Florida State had like 28 wins last year. And that's what it always seems to happen is like they get into the tournament and you're like, oh, they're like a six seed or a four seed. You know, like they're, they're, a, they're a good team and they have like 28 wins or something like that and knock out a team or two in the tournament. But I think that they're actually going to have a really good year this year. Um, and I think they're going to – I say really good as like the fourth best team in the conference because I, I don't think they're going to be – maybe, maybe, maybe the fourth best team in the conference. But like, that's really good because I don't expect them – nobody expects them to compete with Duke, Carolina, and right. either Louisville or Virginia, right? Like, right. No one well, expects this, that. This year I think they can actually compete with Virginia just simply because Virginia lost so many people. Um, Florida State is always athletic. They're just not as big this year as they usually are. Usually that's how Florida State wins is because they can pretty much put three defenders across from each other and they can almost arm's length, like reach the entirety of the court side to side. A little fun fact about Florida State, and it uh, goes to what you were just saying, is they have a top four record in the ACC over the past five seasons. So they've been right there each and every year. It seems like they always have the athletes – they just don't always have the skill level uh, to be there. They've reached the second round three years in a row. They've reached the Sweet 16 two years in a row. And they re- reached Didn't the Elite they reach Eight the two Elite years Eight? ago. Yeah, yeah two, two years, years ago. ago. Yeah. yeah. It, that's, so, that's crazy. So there, and they just don't get talked about. They really don't Never. get talked about. And, you know, if you look at any of the articles or, uh, you know, on ESPN or uh, CBS Sports or whatever your preference is to watch there, it's always, and I get it, you know, they're always, the, the Dukes, the North Carolina, always talked about as the top team in the conference. Florida State is right there. They're a sneaky, sneaky good basketball program. So that's what I'm going with. Uh, Coach of the year, Leonard Hamilton. I think they rack up another 25, 26, 27 wins. If they finish, here's what I'll say. Leonard Hamilton will win the Coach of the Year over Chris Mack if Florida State finishes in the top four of the conference. And that's what I think is going to happen. I think they're going to compete with, with Virginia for that fourth seat for fourth spot in the conference. So that's, so my uh, winner of the conference is Louisville. My player of the year is uh, Jordan Wara and my coach of the year is Leonard Hamilton. Well, this fucking sucks because I have the same player of the year and regular season <laughs> champion. So I'll get to those in a second because, well, bluntly put, we share the same ones, uh, but I'm going to go and start off with ACC coachy the year. And I'm going to go with Kevin Keats at North Carolina Ooh. State. Oh, I love what Kevin Keats has done at North Carolina State so far, man. He has turned that program around ever since Mark Gottfried left it in complete shambles. <laughs> Kevin Keats, uh, complete fucking shambles, dude. All Gottfried ever did was bring Dennis Smith Jr. to campus, which right. is pretty cool. But Illegally. that was it. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine, though. I mean, they were just yearning for any sort of – again, I, I think I mentioned this a few episodes ago, a once-proud – basketball school just thirsting yearning for any sort of success and Gottfried was kind of like a facade he's like yeah I got Dennis Smith Jr. but didn't really translate to wins Kevin Keats is doing that he's slowly but surely building up that program and at one point it was pretty much between in that like basically on Tobacco Road it was basically between them and Wake Forest as to who was playing third fiddle behind North Carolina and Duke and North Carolina and Duke typically always it's it's one a one B whomever is is better that year I guess right. but you know NC State and Wake Forest 
Wake Forest is just god-awful with Danny Manning. So Kevin Keats has done a great job thus far of building them back up, and I think he's got two really good players in his backcourt that are going to help him, and Braxton Beverly and Markel Johnson. Braxton mm-hmm. Beverly, he if you pick against North Carolina State in the tournament, which is perfectly fine, you're going to hate Braxton Beverly. Just, first of all, the way he looks. He's like a shortish white point guard with tattoos, <laughs> But he's effective. I mean, he definitely looks like a guy that would listen to G Easy. Braxton Beverly just—he looks like a, 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 the Wait, point what, guard what, that you fucking What about Machine hate. Gun Kelly? Does he would listen to Machine Gun he, Kelly? Yeah, Probably. that genre, that genre right there, like that wheelhouse. <laughs> that's what he's listening to pregame to get pumped up. But Braxton Beverly is a good ball player, and then Markel Johnson last year had signs of uh, maybe not superstardom, but he was a damn good player for them last right year. There. And so I think both of them are going to lead their teams uh, respectively. One game, it might be Beverly. The other game, it might be Markel Johnson. Uh, The only drawback with this North Carolina State team that uh, may hold Kevin Keats back is I was looking at the roster. They have a guy named Max Farthing, and I mean it just looks like farting. So you need to have strong names. That's not a strong name (laughs) at all. No, definitely not. But another huge uh, key for Keats this year is that most of turning. You know how much I love uh, experience when it comes to these second to third tier teams. Again, experience doesn't matter slash count for the Kentuckys, for the Carolinas, for the Dukes of the world. Kansas maybe even. It it, it doesn't matter for those teams. Uh, But with a team like NC State that's trying to grow and trying to build a culture, I think this is the year that Kevin Keats puts it all together. I think they make the round of 32, maybe round of round of 16, uh, and I think that they are going to fall right outside of those top three teams, which are clearly Duke, Carolina, and, and Louisville, maybe not in that particular order. But I think they actually nab that four, maybe even five spot. But I think this is also going to be a classic case of, well, look what – NC State was two years ago. Even if they get that fifth seed in the ACC or sixth seed, comparatively speaking, if they can get to that level, Kevin Keats has done a phenomenal job. So, so I'm going with Keats. Does the name DJ Funderburk make up for a name like Max Farthing, though? Because well, there's. Think, yeah, maybe it does even itself out because I think his dad's <laughs> Lawrence Funderburk. <laughs> yeah, former, former Sacramento. I mean, how many fucking Thunderbirds are running around <laughs> playing basketball at six ten? Right. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, good call. That might just even itself out. So, it's going to be on the shoulders squarely of Braxton Beverly and Markel. So interesting little debate between our coaches of the year here, and that is: Is Florida State right now what NC State thinks it's been over the last couple of years? Maybe. I don't. Because I don't it, even. Th- I don't think that they've. I don't think NC – maybe the fans. I don't know, but I, I feel like NC State fans even are like, well, we still kind of stink. But NC Kevin State Keith has, has given them something to cheer about. NC State hasn't made a an Elite Eight since 86, which is yeah, crazy. No, I mean, and you know what? And I, I make the mistake, and everybody makes the mistake of picking NC State in the tournament. Because they look I, and they've always had talent like CJ Leslie and those – Cat Barber, those teams, you're like – you know what? They're going to knock off a couple teams in the tournament, and then they don't every year. So you think this year that it's going to be the year that they actually can not their success is yeah they're successful. I think they'll win a game in the tournament. Yeah, right, 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 and that's and that that is successful in, in my mind as well. Yeah, so absolutely. Do you, do you think they pick off any of the top three teams this year? Then 
Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I haven't looked, I haven't looked at this schedule. Right. Dude, every single – the ACC is typically always still loaded at the top. Uh, the, the, does that Siri? What does Siri have to say about this? Yeah, I don't know. I guess uh, – Siri, Siri's, Siri's on Kevin Keats with me too. Though. I guess Good. NC State met Hey Siri in, in – <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit, I just said Hey Siri again. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, at the end of the day, I think that every ACC team will have a opportunity to – to win a big time game on their home court. We always, obviously. we always see NC state at the very least go toe to toe with the Dukes and the Carolinas at home. One of those two. Mm-hmm. And so I think they will actually pull off one of those big upsets and we always see signature wins. And I think Kevin Keats already might have one of those in, in this rebuilding process. So I do think that, that we're going to get something good from, from the Wolfpack this year. So you're not alone because NC State did receive some votes in the AP poll as well. So uh, they didn't receive a lot. I think a handful. But there are a number of people out there who are, who think, who are thinking along the similar lines as you are, I would imagine. Yeah, and the only thing I disagree with you in terms of the Florida State thing is I, I really do think that the people of, of Raleigh know their college hoops. And I, I truly don't think that they think that they're on the level of Florida State. It's probably sure. embarrassing for them because Florida State's a, a football school. And actually, if you poll Florida State fans, they should clearly tell you that right now their basketball team is far outperforming their football school. But that's a different discussion. But I, I right. do think that the people of you know NC State fans are, are knowledgeable enough to, to know that they're not there at that point. And I think they kind of got hoodwinked by Mark Godfrey. It was like oh, I mean, yeah. Mark Godfrey literally kind of embodies a snake oil salesman. He comes into town with these clean suits and the slick back <laughs> hair, and he gives them instant gratification with DSJ. And, you know, you think, oh, shit, this guy can recruit like hell. They're getting a more balanced and uh, I don't know what the word is. Maybe not a, a quick fix in Kevin Keats, yeah, but clearly something that's building. I'm build, Yeah, you got to have some building blocks, some foundational uh, or a foundation to build off and, of rather than just. And that was, you know, Godfrey brought recruits, but a lot of those recruits were guys that were super athletic guys who thought they were one and dones and that's yeah. not a great way to build a program in a no, way unless, unless you are like one of the top five coaches in college basketball yeah you can build that way sure but you can't build your program off of a bunch of one and dones who only become second round draft picks or not even yeah. drafted at all that doesn't that's not going to get you anywhere so it might get you a, a, an upset win from time to time in the conference but it's not gonna. It's not gonna have a lot of uh, prolonged success. You need to like if you're if you're a meddling program looking for a new coach, you need to look at someone who has a trajectory of winning in the postseason with a mid major that's not able to get big time recruits, and that's what Kevin Keats did with. I think it might, I don't think it was. It was either Greensboro or Wilmington. It was either UNC, Greensboro, or whichever one is the Seahawks. Uh, he won with them. I don't know. I forget who that is. But well, that that reasoning right there is almost specifically why we probably both have Louisville winning this conference is because they found the a great uh, coach to take over for you know Patino, and that is someone who had success at, as a mid major school and now has the ability to uh, coach up like some real players uh, and at least in my mind uh, is going to do that. So I do have a, a note and not to, uh, not to hijack your segment here, but because we both have the same uh, player and team as the, uh, as the winner for player of the year and Jordan Noir as the um, or team of the year and player of the year, uh, Louisville actually has not had a conference player of the year since 93, 94. 
That seems like a long time for. Uh, so this is going to be semantics. Oh, conference player of the year. I was. I thought you were going to say strictly ACC player. No, of the year. no, I thought no. They haven't. No, they had a. They haven't had a conference player of the year since Clifford Rosier. Rosier, no relation. Not terrible. Really? That's kind of surprising <laughs> I, too. I looked. I didn't go that deep into the family tree, but yeah, I was pretty surprised about that. So, uh, I didn't fact check that to be completely honest with you, but I did read it in two different ACC previews, and so I'm just hoping that the uh, they had fact checked this, but that that could be wrong. But that was actually surprising. It was surprising, but not surprising. Because Louisville always has like the third best player in the conference, it yeah. seems like, right? Yeah. I, I, and they might have the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh best players in the conference, but they don't necessarily seem to have the they don't have the number one. They don't have like Zion Williamson there, right? They don't. They yeah. don't seem to have that guy. They seem to have the second or third guy back from that. So interesting. Yep. But you would think that at some point a team as good as Louisville would be would be due to have a. a a conference player of the year, especially with uh, Noir being the most improved player of the year last year. Yeah. So I think it's going to be broken up here by Noir. I think he's going to help out with that streak actually. And so you had mentioned it, but it's kind of a crapshoot in the ACC. There's just so much fucking talent in that one conference, just residing in that one conference. And a lot of it is actually on that one road in tobacco road. So it's going to be nice to deviate from those schools and I think we're going to get it with Jordan, Jordan Nawara. Uh, he was, I mean, he may have only been projected as an early second round pick, but he was one of the best talents to pass up the NBA and not even test the waters. I think he immediately came back to Chris mm-hmm. Mack, which I think speaks volumes about Chris Mack and his ability to coach and his ability to continue to develop some of these players. Uh, like you had mentioned also, he was a 17 and eight guy last year and he shoots at a pretty decent clip. I think he's at 53% shooting, which mm-hmm. is which is really good for college. So that's going to help him. But this is the reason why he's going to win the NCC player of the year. And it's because he's going to get the opportunity to come up with big time wins. We talked about signature wins for Kevin Keats. This is going to be his resume for ACC player of the year, Jordan Noir. And I'm going to identify these wins, potential wins. Right. He's got Texas tech. Mm-hmm. He's got UNC. Mm-hmm. These are the three big ones, though, at mm-hmm. Kentucky, at Duke, at Virginia. I think yeah. they get. I think they get Virginia at home as well. But if you if you can play well and lead your team to those three wins at Kentucky, at Duke, at Virginia, and then if you play well, obviously against Texas God, Tech, you, and you, probably don't even need, you probably don't even need to win all those games, honestly. Right, you just need to play well. Right, at least win. Now you can't lose all three. You could probably you probably have to go if those yeah. are five games three and two probably have to go three and two in those games. The point guess. being though is all he has to yeah. do. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. He has, right. he has right. an opportunity that a lot of other players don't necessarily have in terms of who they're playing. You look at the Big East and a guy like Miles Powell, right? You look at the Pac-12. Uh, I mean, I don't even know who's who might be leading in that I, respect. I, like McKinley, I, right? Isaiah yeah. Stewart. Yeah. yeah right. like, I mean, uh, Jaden McDaniels. Right. They don't have these big time nationally televised games in hostile environments where they can go out and prove that, hey, I went toe to toe with some of the best in the country, Duke and Kentucky, which are two top five teams. And then at the home of the defending national champ and also beating the team that they beat, Texas Tech. Right. right. So it's, just, it's a it's perfect, crazy. It's literally a perfect road. Yeah. He, right. There's, there's, he's got to he, play well, and I think he will. 
he's going to have the exact opposite of empty numbers. However, uh, what full numbers, whatever you want to phrase yeah. that. His numbers are going to be legit. Like these were against what? So he's probably has said seven or eight games against top five teams in the country this year. Yeah. Or and top so, 10, excuse me, top 10 teams in the country. And not that Texas, Texas Tech and Virginia could be there. So yeah, right in that range where, yeah, you took, you look at a Pac-12 school, for example, like you just said, are any of those schools playing a top five team? You know, well, a half dozen maybe have a, in the whole conference games against top five schools. Whereas in the ACC, the ACC is, I don't think is good, is great top to bottom, but they are as per usual, very top heavy. And the fact that Louisville has these great out of conference games, uh, you know, along with, especially because rival Kentucky, that's going to be an awesome setting. Yeah, so it's it'll be the reason he wins player of the year or it'll be the reason he doesn't. Yeah, really. And it, it's yeah. two added wrinkles as well is playing in the ACC, you're going to get that national media attention and exposure, which is yeah. going to be huge yeah, for people voting for you. But yeah. in addition to that, you have the added motivation of playing against Duke. Yeah. Right. If you remember last year, Louisville blew arguably like the worst comeback for Duke I've ever seen against a team. Louisville was up 20 plus 21. Yeah. Right. 21, 21 with, I think. I think like 10 minutes to go in the game mm -hmm. and they fucking blew it. One of the biggest meltdowns you'll ever see. That Chris was Trey, Mack, speaking of Trey Jones. That was like his best game of the year. Cam right? Reddish right. too. That was yeah, like uh -huh. Cam Reddish. It's RJ. Yeah. Everyone played well. Like Zion, took, Zion didn't play in that game, right? No, he, or, he got right. like poked in the eye or something like that. Right, right, right. Uh, right. But at the end of the day, that Duke game is going to be huge. And if he explodes, do not be surprised if he uses last year's game as motivation. So Jordan Nawara, we're on the same page there, ACC player of the year. And then I agree with you in the sense that these kind of go hand in hand. You have to marry the that regular season champ with the player of the year. Uh, I think he helps Louisville win the, the regular season championship also. And so mm -hmm. I agree with you that they have a masterful head coach in Chris Mack who did wonders with Xavier and has actually done an incredible job with Louisville already. You talk about Kevin Keats and what NC state, what he took over a couple years ago, Chris Mack did the same thing, but on a much high, higher profile and uh, scandalous event. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, right. if you think Mark Godfrey was bad, Rick Patino, when the whole NCAA scandal shit was going down was the poster boy. And so Chris Mack takes over that and he takes over, a team that they were just kind of lost. The AD was even lost as well. I think he got fired. So everybody he, got fired. Everyone yeah. got fired. Yeah, they cleaned house. So where he has them right now is is very impressive as it is. And I think he takes that next step, which is going to be the logical next step for the fans for him to take. I mean, it's not enough at Louisville to rest on your laurels. I think number one is beat Kentucky, but then number two is go on and, and then win the ACC. They do have a difficult schedule. Uh, potential losses are those at a conference game like Texas Tech. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I'm a big believer in Chris Mack, and I think he's going to end up with the coach of the year. Oh, yeah. Chris Mack or Kevin Keats? Oh, excuse me. Uh, yeah. I think Louisville is going to win ACC regular yeah, season right. championship. Right. Yeah, Kevin Keats, still coach of the year. Well, here's what I'll say, though is I think you and I are both in agreement that if Keats or Hamilton don't win, it's because their teams didn't perform as well. And I would put Chris Mack as yep. the second person to probably be in there. So I don't disagree with your Keats because I think we have both of the same uh, mindset is if these teams, we think NC State and Florida State are going to be better than what the national media would expect. 
that's why they're going to be coach of the year. But if they're not, then it's going to be Chris Mag. But that's typically how these coaches of the year work. Right. Is like it's not necessarily the team with the best record in the AC in your conference, right? If that was the case, then Coach K or Coach K could win it every. Well, get this. Well, okay, actually, here's no, little... I don't think they have won a regular season in a while, right? They haven't won the regular season since 2010. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. So it is. Never mind. Coach K is just not that good of a coach if we no, if we really not. think about it. He's really not. Uh, but it, it it always goes to the it's coach all Jeff that is it's all Jeff Capel. It's all Jeff Capel's recruiting. Right? John Shire too on the bench. Yeah. So here's an interesting thing about what we have going in the ACC this year, and it um uh, it kind of speaks to both the wide open race. Maybe not wide open race for player of the year, but the wide open race for the conference, really, at least between the top three or four teams. And that is only two all-conference performers returned last year, or from last year to this year. And I'm not saying two first team, I'm saying two all-conference performers, teams one through three, returning to the conference this year. So one's Diakite, right? Nope. He, was, he didn't make uh, one of those teams last year? Nope. Still, still in the conference somehow. So is I mean, Nawara one? Nawara's one, and then uh, John Mooney from uh, Notre Dame. Notre Dame. And they were both third. They were both third team All Conference. So it's the first time ever in the ACC that they all have any of the first or second team uh, All Conference players returning. So I mean, that, te- that tells it, you about how much different this conference is going to be from the last year to this year. Is that? A lot, and maybe to be quite honest with you, why a lot of people don't know as much about the ACC this year as they did last year. It's because the recruits that come in are big, as they always are, but they're not as notable as they were last year because we heard about them forever. And you only have two players returning. So, you know, like Trey Jones is the, and Jordan Noir are the two biggest returners. And don't get me wrong, they're good players. But if you ask what? Two out of ten college basketball fans, who's gonna, who who are the retur- biggest returners in the ACC? Would they be able to put together at least both of those names? Nobody's gonna say John Mooney. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, mean, right? I would I would say put put together names outside of Trey Jones and and uh, Jordan Wara. Right, that's that would be the there are very part. few, yeah. And, right, and the thing is, few notable players. The thing is, you're right. Is Jordan Noir is a very efficient 17 and seven last year. He's not flashy. He doesn't go crazy. He doesn't have highlight dunks like a Zion. I mean, he can dunk obviously, but he's not. And then Trey Jones, he does majority of his damage on the defensive end, and he's an incredible defender, and he's a really good college point guard. But yes, people like us appreciate that. Uh, mainstream people want, and uh, that kind of sounds like a snobbish thing to say, but at the end of the day, that's uh, people care about Zion Williamson, which we obviously do as well. But right. people want to see his insane dunks. People want to see Kobe White breaking down an offense. People want to see Cam Reddish silking right. silking a shot from three. So, so you know, UNC is a prime example of that too. UNC lost all five of their top scorers from last season. It's the yeah. first time that's happened under Roy Williams at. North Carolina, and they had to bring in transfers in Justin Pierce and Christian Keeling to kind of as as stop gaps to to kind of uh, uh, curtail that talent issue, not talent issue, but that experience issue that they have. So that's a big thing, you know, and that's why I think a team like Notre Dame is going to be a much better team this year than they were last year. Last year they finished like last in the conference or close to last. Like they were just 15 in the conference. They had so many injuries. Injuries. That's it. Yeah. Rex. I mean, Mark Bray is another great coach and Rex Fluger is going to be back. They were just dealing with so many injuries. So I think, I think Notre Dame is going to be that sixth 
fifth even or sixth team that makes the makes the tournament this year because they return all five of their starters and they should be much improved under a really good and consistent coach like Mike Bray. Whereas last year they almost were, I don't know if snake bitten is the way to put it, but it was just a, it was a perfect storm of events that caused them to be so bad. Cause Notre Dame is, is a, they're a third tier basketball program, probably maybe outside the top 25 all time, but maybe, but right there. They're right meaning, there. Meaning every year they're going to compete for at least being in the tournament. Yep. Um, so you think, okay, so them missing the tournament last year is, is really more of a – It's like a, a reset. A miss. Yeah, right. And, and it's almost like – well, we see this with a lot of college basketball teams. But they have a really bad year, but they return everybody. There's no chaos that's going on in their program. It's not imploding or anything like that. It was just a, a, a perfect storm of events as to why they missed the tournament and were the worst team in the conference last year. So I think they are going to be in the tournament this year. Um, and I also think that if they're going to get, if the ACC is going to get a seventh team into the tournament this year, with my teams being uh, Louisville, North Carolina, Duke, Virginia, Florida State, and NC State being the sixth, I think Miami, not Syracuse, will be the seventh team in the conference, specifically because if you look at Jim Laranaga's uh, track record, he rarely has two down years in a row. And they had a down year last year. I think they have at least just enough talent. And I think Jim Laranaga is just a good enough coach that if there's going to be a team that sneaks up to that seventh team to make the tournament, I think it's going to be Miami. And that's, that's kind of my sneaky, my sneaky team in the ACC this year. I don't think I don't. Syracuse got votes in the AP poll. I don't think they're good at all. Personally. Yeah. So, I'm going to stop you right there because we say this every single year and Syracuse somehow ends up on the bubble. They're going to win their playing game and they're going to somehow be in the. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, that's exactly what's going to happen. And, and we're going to be sitting there selection Sunday being like Syracuse fucking sucks. And then again, two weeks later, people are going to be like, Oh, well, do you think they suck because they're in the sweet 16? It's like, yeah, they shouldn't have been in, but good for them for winning two games. But I, I, I will, in all seriousness, disagree with you on Miami. I, I don't think they're very good. Oh, yeah, I appreciate that. But yeah, like, Go right ahead. I mean, I, I, I just I don't think that they're very good. And I actually think this is the slow process of them finding a new coach. Okay. To yeah, replace that's, Larry and I, so again, he's a legend, of, but it's kind of the same thinking, but in reverse. I think he's yeah. got like one more year in him and you don't, and you don't. But yeah. I think both are, both are probably equally yeah. right or wrong takes, right? Right. Oh, and and that's the thing about these takes is that unless we're correct, that these don't matter. So, and we I'm only bringing this up if Miami brings makes the tournament. I'm yeah, never speaking absolutely. about this again. After they if they, when they lose their first five ACC games, I'm like, yeah, man, I always thought they were bad. You know, yeah. they got to fire Larry Nugget. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know who was on on Titch this weekend. <laughs> so, all right, we Taylor and I are in agreement. ACC Player of the Year, Jordan Nawara, in agreement with the regular season champion being Louisville. Coach of the Year, Taylor has Leonard Hamilton, who's like 70 years old, but looks 20. Maybe not 20, but still looks young. And then I have Kevin Keats at NC State. Let's roll into our starting five T. And so what we're going to be doing for starting five is – Again, when we break down each of these conferences, do our predictions, we're going to have starting five, uh, our favorite players 
from these conferences. Now, not the best players, maybe not the most impactful, maybe not the best that turned out in the NBA, just our personal favorite players to watch. And we're going to start here in the ACC. Who's your starting five? So I, I said this as we were prepping for the show today, but as I went back through the annals of uh, ACC history here to make sure I wasn't missing anybody, I could have made at least a three three full rosters of players that I've hated from the ACC over the last 20 years or so. And it was a lot more difficult for me to remember the t- players that I liked from the ACC. Uh, I think I don't dislike North Carolina. I don't really dislike Louisville. Um, I don't really dislike a lot of teams, but I don't like a lot of them either. If that makes sense. Um, obviously don't like Duke, but nobody does, but that didn't, uh, that didn't change from my, uh, starting five because um, I do have a Duke player in here. The other caveat is is we couldn't pick any. We had to go one player per team. We kind of picked a bunch of Duke or Louisville or North Carolina guys. You know, honestly, I could have picked Zion. They really did enjoy Zion Williamson. I think everybody for the first time like really liked Duke last year. But I just felt like that was just such a surface-level take on this. So I didn't pick Zion, though he easily could have been in here. But speaking of, Kev, of uh, Kevin Keats and NC State, I'm going to go back a couple of years to my first member of my favorite ACC basketball players, and that's my guy, Cat Barber, Anthony Cat Barber. Had, he had everything I looked for in a college basketball player. He had the swag. He had the hair. He had the name. He had this scrappy like style that just covered enough uh, spreads and made the tournament and had a couple upsets. So, Cat Barber is my uh, first guy on my list here. And we're going to kind of work back, I guess, through the years here. So, Cat Barber is my most current guy on my list. Uh, second guy, he was um, – I don't, I don't know if he was on my list, but he was a consideration for our, uh, our summer football player list of basketball players who could have been football players and who I would have loved. But I'm going with Big Kenny Kaji from Miami. Athlete. Athlete. <laughs> oh my gosh you know what's really funny real quick with these first two these were names that popped into my head i was like i don't think i actually like them but those are hilarious names oh i loved kenny kaji uh, and that miami team with like shane larkin and, and those guys shane larkin acc player of the year that year if i remember correctly but yeah kenny kaji just a big motherfucker that guy you know just athlete loved him down low that was a good miami team too not a great but a good Miami team that year, too. I think they finished third in the conference. Um, so Kenny Kaji, or as his, this is obvious that his full name is Kenneth, but you just don't think of Kenny Kaji as someone. Kenneth Kaji is who I have at center of my, that's uh, my second player, my starting five. Yep. Number three, I have old skinny, fat, fat, skinny, Sean May, or just fat, fat, Sean May. Dude, another name. That's another name that I thought. That was uh, that was a North Carolina team that was previous to uh, my you know us going into college. He was what on the was what oh five no he would have been oh four oh no, oh two through oh two through oh five oh when he started yeah in in North Carolina right those right, Carolina right. teams were pretty fun I thought you know uh, and and they were really good Sean May for someone is for some reason is the guy who stuck out as like someone who shouldn't have like been as good as he was because he was huge. 
But he was the final four most outstanding player in 2005, second team All-American in, in 2004. So uh, a memorable, he's a memorable person. 6'9", 260, thick, got his Tank. eyes closed. Got, yep. got, guy had a wagon, had a schooner on him, if I may. Yeah, got to go with my boy Kenny or, uh, Sean May down low. I'll say also Sean May currently on the North Carolina coaching staff. But additionally, we have – we owe Sean May a big thank you because in 2005, as Arizona fans, Illinois beat Arizona in the Elite Eight. It was a huge comeback and devastating for fans in Tucson. Illinois goes on to play in the national title game, and they lose to that Sean May-led yes. North Carolina team. So thank you, Sean May, for uh, doing that. You know, it's interesting, as you look back through my college basketball fanhood, that when I ended up at University of Arizona, there were a lot of things that I didn't realize that had led me to liking Arizona. I was actively rooting for North Carolina in that game. Uh, and, you know, that's another one of, there's a laundry list of reasons which we won't get into right now, but that's, that's one of them. Um, Sean May, big guy, love him, thick. Uh, we have another big guy, and that is, Chris Wilcox from Maryland. Great Chris, pick. That guy just, what's the tactful way to put this? Like, you don't want to see Chris Wilcox in the streets. Let's put it that way, okay? You just don't. You don't want to see him in the streets. Because he, he had a sneaky long NBA career, uh, won a national championship at Maryland, uh, just was one of the, um, one of the uh, cornerstones of that team. With uh, I thought Juan Dixon and Steve Blake, Chris, um, oh God, what Lonnie Baxter, right? Lonnie Baxter, yeah, Lonnie Baxter was, yeah, it was Lonnie Baxter, yeah. Uh, Chris Wilcox, also member of the all hair team as well, not later in his career, early in his career, member of the all hair team. Uh, he kind of had that ASAP Rocky going on when he was at Maryland, uh, in the national championship game there. So, Chris Wilcox, a member of the team. And then I was actively trying to not choose a Duke player, but I felt it necessary for uh, our Alaskan listeners to go with Trajan Langdon, the Alaskan Alaskan assassin. I kind of had to, really, kind of had to. East Anchorage High School, Anchorage, Alaska, uh, was uh, really before Carlos Boozer and Mario Chalmers, kind of like the Alaskan basketball player. He went to Duke in the mid not, mid to late '90s there, and kind of uh, really, we don't have athletes from Alaska. We just we, we don't, you know. And so, uh, so anyone, yeah, you, you didn't anyone, want to do Boozer. I don't really like. Boozer, <laughs> no. He's got a great hairstylist though. Um, yeah, Trajan, a, Trajan, it's Langdon, an aerosol can. <laughs> Trajan Langdon, and also if this doesn't necessarily play into why I picked him, but Trajan Langdon has actually come a, become an extremely successful uh, executive in the NBA as well. So anyone who grew up in Alaska that can make it in sports, be a, be a top uh, or a lottery pick in the NBA, but also be a real stud at Duke. He was almost like, he was like J.J. Redick before J.J. Redick, you know, bef- before the three-pointer became the mo- a monster part of the game. Um, and so, yeah, J- or, um, Trajan Langdon, the Alaska assassin, had to do it. Had to do it. So my starting five is Cat Barber from NC State, Kenny Kaji from Miami, Sean May from North Carolina, 
Chris Wilcox from Maryland, and the Alaskan assassin Trajan Langdon from Duke. It's a good starting five right there. Okay, I will jump into my starting five right now, and I'm going to start at the with the most obvious, I would say. And he's a Duke player. Anyone that can not just make me tolerate you as a Duke player, but like actively root and be happy whenever I see you on the court in a Duke uniform deserves to be on this list. And that's Zion Williamson. From yeah, okay. Year. Right, right. Unreal, dude. Like every single time I saw him play, I was just overcome with joy because he's so <laughs> good. He's so freakishly athletic. And he's just a cool dude. He's a nice down-to-earth type of guy. Yeah. And and again, the way he plays and the way he carries himself, and it, that's why it truly sucks to see him out six to eight weeks with the Pelicans right now. But Zion yep. Williamson, absolutely electrifying in his single season uh, in, in in the Duke Blue. So Zion, I think that's pretty obvious. Yeah, right. He makes he makes my starting five. I mean, I was going to put him right there too as well. That would have yeah, like we said. Here's a bit of a deeper cut. Uh, Georgia Tech, Ishmael Muhammad. Ooh. One of the best dunkers I've ever I seen. I didn't know which right. which ish you were gonna go with from Georgia Georgia Tech, but yeah. Yeah, Ishmael Muhammad, man. Unreal hops for for this guy in, in uh at Georgia Tech. And that's pretty much the reason why I chose him is because he was just so much fun to watch. He was kind of like Zion. He was throwing down Zion like dunks at Georgia Tech, except he wasn't 18 years old and he wasn't ever going to be the number one overall pick. But Ishmael would have some of the meanest uh, cockback tomahawk dunks that you'll see. And he's, he's put many an ACC opponent on a poster. So mm-hmm. Georgia tech Ishmael Muhammad. Also, I just, I, for some reason, I always think Ish Smith went to Georgia tech. He went Wake to Wake Forest. Forest. Yeah. It's the God it's, I complained about this last week. It's the black Colors. and gold versus the really, really dark blue and gold. And you know what? Even of the most researched college basketball fans, I'm going to give myself a pass on that one, though I will apologize here publicly after that mistake. That's accountability right there. That's (laughs) accountability right there. Next, I'm going with Earl Clark at Louisville. Now, when Earl Clark played at Louisville, I don't think that they were in the ACC. I could be wrong, but that Earl Clark-led team with – Edgar Sosa and Samardo Samuels, that team that Sosa. yeah, what what are, where do they go? They went to the Elite Eight, I think. Robbie's and Rolf. yeah, uh, I believe they did. I mean, they uh, beat the absolute shit out of they, Arizona with Chase Budinger and Jordan they kicked, Hill. They kicked our ass that year. Yes. Yeah, I mean, we had no business playing in that game. It should have been Wake Forest versus. You know uh, what, though, it, it, important to point out that that team that game was vacated by the NCAA, so really, <laughs> it really didn't count. Didn't count. True. <laughs> Despite the fact that we saw it with our own eyes, did not count. But Earl Clark, I'm putting on my list because he was a freak athletically. Uh, he had an okay career in the NBA, got drafted by the Suns, and Draymond Green will probably tell you it's because he's no longer in the league because the Suns absolutely suck. But Draymond, or excuse me, Earl Clark had stints with the Suns and also the Lakers. But in his college days, he was just an incredible athlete. He could defend. He could jump out of the gym. Uh, and he had a decent stroke as well. And I think I just really liked that Louisville team. I think Andre McGee was on that team also. Uh, I had mentioned Samardo Samuels and Sosa, but it was all because uh, Earl Clark was really the guy that was the straw that stirred that drink. So here's my hold on, hold on. They did Earl Clark real dirty here on on Wikipedia. Did he get a little bigger? No, they 
they have him getting swatted by John Wall as like the second picture. And they, I can't believe they did your man's like that. Doug, you know what it was? It was probably a Kentucky supporter who, <laughs> who was editing that page. That's probably what it was. Uh, and also no shame in getting stuffed by the number one overall pick. That's fine. Correct. Correct. Sorry. Continue. I just said, no, that's edit. fine. So I got love for Earl Clark. Uh, this next one uh, before the show we were talking about it and I said, this is kind of random and I honestly don't know if I love him, but I kind of like his story and, and, and basically what he had to fight through. And that's Joel Berry at North Carolina. This is kind of a weird pick, but Joel Berry at North Carolina, you think of all the great point guards that have come through there and everyone talks about Kendall Marshall. Had he not gotten hurt, what that North Carolina team would have done. You talk about Kobe white who by all accounts is, playing great for the Chicago Bulls so far but I want to talk about Joel Berry a guy who was on that team that lost to Villanova I believe against the Chris Jenkins shot Mm -hmm. Joel Berry fucked up his foot I think he had to miss significant time so he battled back from that and then he played against Gonzaga uh, and and redeemed himself winning that national title and I think he won MOP actually Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe Luke May did I don't know but Joel Berry played in he did. He won, right? Mm-hmm. And and that Gonzaga-North Carolina game was so sloppy, poorly officiated. There was just not a lot of offense that was flowing, except Joel Berry was, was hitting big shots. And so I think coupled with losing probably the worst way you can in a national title game at the hands of Chris fucking Jenkins and like a miracle three-pointer, then injuring your foot, and then coming back and battling and seemingly somehow being lost in the conversation of great Carolina point guards. I mean, I, I'm sure Carolina diehards have a lot of respect for Joel Berry, but nationally speaking, I don't think a lot of people give Joel Berry that respect. And so I think I, I, I just have a lot of respect for, for what he was able to do in his Carolina career. Interesting. Interesting. Cause I didn't really love Joel Berry personally. But... I, I liked him too. He was fine, but I mean, I just right. think, I, I think I like his story better than I do. I mean, there was nothing crazy about Joel Berry's play that. Right. He's one of those guys that um, kind of peaked. I think, I don't think he peaked his senior year. I think he peaked earlier in his career than that. If you look at his stats, he actually had uh, a higher field goal percentage and more assists and more steals per game as a sophomore than he did as a junior or a senior, but he did get that ring later on in his career as well. That's the thing. Like, it's crazy. Everyone talks about, Everyone talks about uh, Kendall Marshall. Everyone talks about Marcus Page. And then everyone talks about Kobe White. In between that, in between, yeah. I think, uh, Marcus Page and Kobe White was Joel Berry. Right. And so and I thought – for a long time. Yeah, he I was. Mean, he, yeah. I mean, his, his, his service was huge. So love, love the Joel Berry story. Again, though, I mean, if you tweet at me or tell me, like, Joel Berry, what the fuck, I would probably be like, yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't know why. But <laughs> I got him on the list. Last but not least, and I think this is really neat that you had a player from this national title winning team. I went with Juan Dixon. Ah, yeah. Juan yes. Dixon, that was around the time where I first really started getting into college hoops. What they Agreed. won the national right? yeah. they won the national title in two thousand two, right? And yes. so that Maryland team was just really cool. They were always at that point, the ACC was a three team race with everyone hating Duke, everyone loving Carolina for the most part. And then I think people really rallied around Maryland because they were the ones that were supposed to be uh, fighting upwards. Like they were punching up at both Duke and Carolina. Mm-hmm. And Maryland beat Duke that year, 
with Juan Dixon, Steve Blake, all those absolute legends, Lonnie Baxter and Juan By- Dixon. Byron Mouton. Byron Mouton. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of interesting, hilarious names, but Juan Dixon was pretty much the coolest college basketball player at that time. Uh, he wore the baggy shorts, the baggy jersey, and he came up huge for that Maryland Terrapins team that helped Gary Williams win his national title there. So it, it, it's kind of like, I mean, I liken it to this. I'm a Manchester United soccer fan uh, because I started watching soccer in like 1995 when David Beckham started getting absolutely monstrous. I started watching college hoops around 2000, 2001, and then Juan Dixon came onto the scene uh, and, and help them win a title. So I think he deserves a solid spot on this ACC starting five of mine. So I got Ish Muhammad, Zion Williamson, Juan Dixon, Earl Clark, and fucking Joel Berry, whatever. Put him in there. So fun little fact for you, just to make ourselves feel better. You know, Arizona beat that, uh, that Maryland team that year? During the regular season? Uh-huh. Wow. Here's something interesting, too, and, and this is about that Maryland team. I'm looking here at their – um, schedule that season, you know, what's, but how many would you say is a good assist number for a really, really good college basketball point guard, like average per game? I'd say like eight, right? Steve Blake, the last couple games of that year had 10, 12, 13, 9, 13, 8, 9, 11, 11, 11 assists. That's a fucking ton of assists Dude. in like a, in a short amount of time for a college point guard, but that team was stacked. Like you said, Juan Dixon. If you look at the the players who who led that team in scoring and rebounds every single game, it like alternates every game between Lonnie Baxter, Juan Dixon, Chris Wilcox, Byron Mouton even in there a couple times. Steve Blake only only led the team in scoring one time that year, and he was probably the best point guard in the country, maybe, or you know, one of the best point guards in the country at that time. Yeah. Right. I think, so, I think the coolest thing he ever did was pick Jay Williams's pocket when Jay Williams was looking back at Coach K in the Cole Fieldhouse. Yes, yes. Whatever it was. I will I, say hey, man, too, Steve, Steve Blake is not to be trifled with. Have you seen that video of him getting into it uh, with a Maryland player? Like when he was – this is an old video. Oh, yeah. It's like throwing a that's pun- an, yeah. It's oh, an awesome yeah. video. Well, and he had – nobody would have guessed on that team that he would have had the, the longest and easily probably the best NBA career of everybody mm-hmm. on that team. Juan Dixon was on that MJ comeback team in Washington. Um, but, yeah, I like Juan Dixon, too. I liked him a little different because he had that pencil stash, though. I, I love that pencil stash that he had. It was clean. Yeah. So, good look good look for my boy Juan there. But, no, that was a consideration of mine as well, Juan Dixon. Actually, really, a lot of those players on that team. I wanted to pick Steve Blake, but I like Steve Blake. But Lonnie Baxter and yep. Chris Wilcox and Juan Dixon were all considerations of mine. I think we all just love that Maryland team, man. Like I had said, they're consistently and always punching up towards North Carolina and Duke, and it's not like they could never beat them. They could beat them. It's just you got to do it on the biggest stage, and Maryland was able to accomplish that with some well, really cool players. Well, look at this. Maryland went 15-1 and in the conference that year, 32-4 and overall, and Duke was still ranked number one ahead That's crazy. of them, even though they went. Duke only went thirteen and three in conference and thirty-one and four overall. So you got a team that went almost undefeated in the ACC, and another team was still ranked ahead of them. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you this much: I mean, Maryland. I'm not a Maryland fan. I'm not from the DMV area. Outside of Chapel Hill, they were the number one fan base that hated Duke. They, those were some mm-hmm. legit rivalry games. They weren't on the same level as Carolina Duke. 
but they might have been just right below that. And so it sucks that Maryland's moved to the Big Ten. And, I know, I, mean, I don't. It's just, it's, it doesn't make it, yeah, it doesn't make sense. I don't. So I guess you are, you're evening out with your Earl Clark pick yep. with, uh, with Juan Dixon. True. I'll, I'll, I'll I, yeah. allow that. I'll Thanks, allow man. that. Yes, yeah. I, I appreciate it. When I was watching him, yeah, he was in the ACC. Right. All right. Before we round it out with hugs, a uh, quick message from the Barnburner Podcast Network. Taylor, let's finish this up with some hugs. Who you got? Who are we giving your hug to? So because we're in the ACC, I'm going to go with uh, Pitt player Samson George, along with his brother Gideon George, who are donating 100 pairs of shoes to their home country in Nigeria. Pretty cool wow. effort. Yeah, pretty cool effort on their part um, to, uh, to donate back to their home country. Uh, it's the – oh, shoot. I didn't even write this down. The uh, uh, Something for Africa – that like Hakeem Olajuwon charity started that. Uh, so they have got, gone ahead and, and donated a hundred Jews back to their home country of Nigeria. Uh, Gideon, his little brother plays at a junior college um, and Samson plays there at Pittsburgh. So cause we're in the ACC, I thought that was a pretty cool story. And it also gives me another opportunity to uh, just speak on how bad the NCAA is because you know, if either of the schools would have actually helped out these kids where they probably could have donated even more than a hundred Jews, Probably would have been a violation, right? So yeah. good on Samson and Gideon George for donating 100 pairs of basketball shoes back to their home country of Nigeria. I thought that was a pretty cool story. Great hug. I think Pitt needs, is, is in dire need of some wins <laughs> yeah, and they hugs. Need, they need a uh, lot of hugs. Last, last couple of years, I think Jeff Capel, I mean, he pretty much has the lowest bar ever. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, hug, hug for those, those two at Pitt. I'm going to give two hugs. I'm feeling extra generous today because wow. I know college hoops is right around the corner, man. I'm just like, I, I'm fired up. I'm like one of Pavlov's dogs. Like I've said, I'm just <laughs> Pavloving right now. So I got two hugs. First and foremost, Kansas and Mizzou hug for the both of you. Uh, the rivalry uh, is yeah. back. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Thank you guys for setting aside your differences and figuring this out, bringing back a great rivalry, a very underrated rivalry in my opinion. Uh, so I will say Mizzou's probably been chirping about this ever since it ended back in 2012, 2013, when they were actually good with the Pressy brothers. Uh, I don't know if they want to face Kansas these next six years, but maybe this will be uh, some, some inspiration to finally put together a legitimate basketball program down in Columbia. But Kansas and Missouri rivalry is back for the next six years. My last hug will go to Butler Bulldog mascot trip. A cute little bulldog retiring <laughs> after this year. Swan song. So what Butler's doing is they are giving Trip a like farewell tour this year, which is awesome. Like I don't love give a shit about Dwayne Wade's farewell tour. Okay. I, I, I didn't I love Poppy. I didn't really care about his farewell tour. Don't care about Derek Jeter's farewell tour. Draymond Green clearly doesn't care about Paul Pierce's farewell tour. Nobody cares about like human farewell tours. But when it comes down to a dog. And when it comes down to Butler, who's a universally loved team for the most part, uh, I think you just got to pen them in for the Final Four if, if this is trips last year, right? Works for me. So hug for both Kansas and Mizzou and also a, a big hug for uh, Trip on his swan song. Enjoy your retirement, Trip. Enjoy <laughs> it. 
Thanks as always for listening, team. We will be back on Friday. I don't know exactly what conference we're going to be uh, discussing just yet, so that'll be a surprise. Looking forward to Twitter poll. Oh, we could do a Twitter poll. <laughs> Might just be one or two in- engagements, but you know what? It'll be we'll you, and I it. vo- you and I voting against each other. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Catch you next time.